Go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Growing up, I had a lot of favorite movies, and still today, uh, a lot of my favorite movies are animated movies from when I was a kid, uh, but especially in my teen years, preteen to teen years, I had one particular movie series that was just by far my favorite, and it was the Rocky movies. Uh, I love the Rocky movies. Do we have any Rocky fans in here? Okay, not many women, but I saw a few. Okay, I see some. I love Rocky, and I think I loved Rocky because I kind of related to him. He was the small guy that was always in the ring with people bigger than him, and, and so I felt like I could kind of put myself in his spot. You know, if I was a boxer, that, I would be that guy that nobody thought could win, that everybody's betting against. I would be that guy. Uh, but there's lots of debate as to which Rocky movie is the best. My personal favorite is the fourth one. Uh, the fourth movie, when he fights the big Russian. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, Rocky is set to fight up this fight against this Russian. And uh, some of you may remember his name. His name's Ivan Drago. Don't it just sound kind of vicious and scary, Drago? Hey, it just sounds someone who wants to, to beat you up. I mean, it just does. Uh, but Drago was supposed to be, and of course he's a fictional character, uh, but supposedly he's 6'5", uh, and Rocky is about 5'11". So he's got, he's quite a bit different. Which 5'11", to me, you know, that's pretty tall. Um, but I was also looking up that Drago supposedly weighs 261 pounds, where Rocky only weighs about 195. So he was extremely outmatched in, in this movie um, and in this fight. Um, and of course, the fight starts out, uh, just like every Rocky fight starts out, where the opponent just obliterates him. He's just wearing him out, uh, landing all his punches, uh, and Drago is just giving it to him. And it looks like not only might he lose the fight, but it looks like he's going to lose his life. You know, they, they make it really dramatic, uh, blood everywhere, really, really intense. Um, and eventually, at the end of the fourth Rocky movie, it comes down to the last punch. And Rocky and Drago land one last huge punch at the exact same time. Of course, they built it up to be extremely dramatic. And both fighters fall at the exact same time. And so it was all about who can get up first. And, and the way it's portrayed is that really, it's not at this point about who's the strongest or who looks the part. It's all about... Who's got the most heart? Who can, who can actually fight through this pain and get up off the mat and, and be de- declared the winner? Uh, one of my favorite lines in Rocky is after this fight. Of course, it's a movie, so of course Rocky's the first one up and he wins uh, while Drago's like halfway up. So it's as close as it could possibly be. Uh, but my favorite Rocky line and probably the line that's used most in sermons uh, is it's not about how hard you can hit, it's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. It's about how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. In Rocky, it didn't matter that Drago looked the part 
or that he was the picture perfect boxer, uh, and he had been through all the most uh, technological advanced training that he could possibly be through. What mattered in the end was who had the biggest heart. And in the Old Testament, we kind of get into this in, as, we're, as the people of God are getting a king. Uh, the early on, there was one man that really just stood out above the rest to be the king. And does anybody have a guess at who that was? The first king. King Saul, right? Saul looked the part. He was the perfect king, it seemed like. Uh, Saul was good looking. Uh, he was a foot taller than anyone else in the land. And he just kind of seemed like the perfect leader for God's people. And unfortunately, as we find out, that looks do not always translate to the best leader, to the best king for God's people. Time and time again, it proves that it's really a heart issue. It's not about the outward appearance, but it's about the heart. So flip on over to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to look at uh, this instance of David being anointed king uh, and King Saul exiting a little bit. So as we get to this portion of the story, David is only about 16 years old. So he's, he's very young. And God comes to Samuel asking him not to grieve. Look at, look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. So clearly to Samuel, this was a big deal. The fact that the king was not working out, he was, the word they use, grieving King Saul. He was grieving the fact that this whole idea of the king leading God's people, and probably the people had their hopes set high for this guy. Uh, but it just was not working out. And he was grieving that. And so he asked him not to grieve any longer over the failures of Saul. So basically he's saying, look, kind of like the quote I talked about earlier, we're not going to stay in this moment any longer. Let's focus on moving forward. You know, let's not focus on the hit that we just took. Let's focus on getting up. And so that's kind of what he talks about to Samuel. So God tells Samuel that it's time to move on and do something about this problem. So God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse to find the king of his people amongst Jesse's sons. They bring these sons in and set them before Samuel, and God is communicating to him. Uh, and it can't just be anyone as God's king. Obviously, the first king didn't work out, so this time we've got to pick the right guy. So he brings in the sons of Jesse, and despite that some of these men looked the part, they weren't going to make that mistake again. They were looking for the right guy with the right heart, with the right qualities to be the king of God's people. So we get to this really cool verse. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. And this is really cool. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Exactly what we're talking about here. It's not about the outward appearance. It's about the heart. I want each of you to remember that. 
that it's not necessarily about your accomplishments, it's more about where your heart's at. In this life, you may go on to make a lot of money. You may be the big boss person. Uh, You may go on to be a professional athlete. Uh, For some of us, we're already too far gone. Uh, That's not a possibility. But for some, you may still become a professional athlete. You may reach incredible heights in this life. But if your heart is not in the right spot, none of it matters. Saul was the king of God's people. He had it all. But his heart wasn't in the right spot. Several of these sons of Jesse had the appearance. They had what most people would look at as qualities of a king. But their heart was misplaced. And that's what we see time and time again. If your heart is not set on God, He can't use you the way He wants to. But if you reverse that and say, if your heart is set on God, God can use you in so many incredible ways. God can use you in ways that you might not even see. He can use you to affect people uh, in a way that you might not ever see the effect that you had on those people. God can do an incredible thing with you if your heart is set on Him. If you look throughout this story, no one believed in David. Time and time again, poor little David uh, is just looked at as being someone who cannot be successful. uh, Someone who just isn't looking the part. Uh, Look at verses 8-11 through of chapter 16. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons, seven of them, pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So when Samuel comes to the sons of Jesse to look for a king, he passes all his sons in front of him except for David. Except for David. He says David is the youngest. He'll never choose David There's no reason for us to even put David out there because he can't be the king. He's my youngest son. Then verse 28 of chapter 16. Chapter 17, excuse me. Verse 28. This is just after David goes out to feed his brothers out on the front line of battle because once again, David was not good enough to be out there. So verse 28 says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So when, so when he comes out, and, and just stops for a second to watch the battle, his oldest brother just gets filled with anger. Not only can you not be a soldier out here, but you, cannot even, you can't even watch this battle. I don't even want you out here 
you need to just turn around. You've got, where's those few sheep? So see, he even kind of belittles the job that he does have. Go find those few sheep that you're supposed to watch and let us men stay out here in battle. And So David is just continually belittled. Then we get over to verses 41 through 43 as we progress in the story of David and Goliath. Look at verses 41 to 43. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Now, I want to stop before we read this next verse. When I'm playing sports, I love to talk trash. Okay, That's what they call it. Where you try to get in the head of your opponent. Uh, I learned early on, especially at Fried Hardeman when I was in intramurals, I'm not the most athletically inclined person in the world, although I really enjoy it. And so you got to get an edge some way, right? Some of you athletes out there know what I'm talking about. you got to find an edge some way. If you, and if it's not your abilities, then why not in your mouth, okay? So Goliath, to me, is the role model for talking trash to his opponent, okay? He steps out here, and he sees his opponent, And look what he says. Look what he says. Verse 43. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog and you come to me with sticks? So basically, he calls David just a little stick. Of course, Goliath is a giant. And so a stick would be incredibly small in comparison to him. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So continually, again, we just keep seeing David looked down upon. No one thought he was worthy of being a soldier. No one thought he was worthy of being the king, especially. Uh, His brother didn't even think he was worthy of seeing what was going on on the battlefield. But yet, it's not about the outward appearance. There will be times in your life where no one expects you to succeed. And no one thinks you're able to to become what you think you can become. No one will think that you're capable of what you want to do, except God. Not only may other people doubt you, but a lot of times, maybe even more so for some of us, you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to be in situations where you say, I know I can't get through this. I know I can't defeat this giant that I'm facing. I can't do it. And once David is, is anointed king, he's set to work as Saul's servant for a period of time where he would play his harp and periodically uh, to make him feel better, to make Saul feel better. David would eventually become a warrior. But at this point in time, he has a very simple, simple job, but also kind of boring job. And David wants to be out on the front lines. David wants to be with his brothers. So finally, after he gets that opportunity uh, to, to go out, and he's with his brothers, and he sees the competitor. This was a little bit before uh, what Goliath said to him. He goes out there on the front lines, and look at verse 26, chapter 17, verse 26. We're going back just a little bit. But I want you to see... David's mindset in this situation. Because David's mindset, while he's not a soldier, 
He's just the guy that's tending to the few sheep out in the wilderness. While he's not a soldier, look at verse 26. His mindset and his heart are clearly in the right spot. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David, before he ever even steps out to battle, when he's talking to these soldiers, all these different soldiers who are afraid to go and face this giant, David stops and says, who is this guy that he can defy the army of the living God? David knew where his heart needed to be. And while all these other people were scared of Goliath, and, and David had very good reason to be scared of Goliath, I mean, I would be terrified to go out and battle this guy with no formal training in battle to go out and fight a giant. But David stops and he says, he can't beat the living God. So when you stop and think, how did David respond with this kind of message when he had no training and no expertise in this area? And then the next question I would ask you is, how big is your God? Because David's God was pretty big. It wasn't because David had confidence in himself that he could go out there and defeat this giant. He was disappointed that no one else had enough faith in God that, that this Philistine wasn't already defeated. Why is he even still standing? We have the living God on our side. David's God was enormous. And for him, no animal, no giant, Nothing in this world could defeat his God. Look at verse 40. Now we're going to jump to after he goes out and he's going to face the giant. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So not only did he just take five stones and a sling and uh, he and go out to battle not only was it that but he also left his armor okay he was so confident in his god in the strength and the power of his god that he was willing to go out there with no armor on his body and face this giant i've seen a lot of incredible things happen where people who had all the odds stacked against them uh, defeated their giant. And I've seen it a lot in sports. Uh, I've seen a lot in sports where teams are expected to be really terrible or teams are expected to lose a game, but yet they, they defeat the giant that they're facing. Now yesterday I saw something pretty incredible. And uh, it only relates to football because they showed this story on college game day, uh, a TV show that comes on in the morning time uh, that kind of prepares the way for the rest of the day of football games. And uh, this was early in the morning. Uh, and it, it just so happens it focuses around Auburn and LSU, uh, but it has nothing to do with football. 
Uh, you had two Auburn fans, their names, some of you probably saw this, uh, but these two Auburn fans, their names were Tucker and Amanda Boswell, and they were blessed with a little boy who they decided to name Davis. That was his name, Davis. Less than a week after his birth, he was dying from a common virus. Uh, something that for us would be simple to fight off, but for him as a newborn baby, uh, he couldn't fight off this virus. And with no immune system to fight it off, the virus started to attack his heart and delivered irreparable damage to the left side of his heart. So he was left with only the right side of his heart to kind of pull the weight. Uh, the right side of his heart was expected to keep him alive. And uh, that's where he was at. And uh, through this process, his parents were told that he would need a heart transplant in order to live. Uh, but the chances of this newborn baby to receive a heart transplant uh, were very slim. Uh, and so they expected that only a perfect match would save this child. And so not only is it difficult to find a heart, uh, but to find the perfect match. It couldn't be just any heart uh, from a child. It had to be the perfect match. Several times throughout this process, doctors had conversations with Davis's parents uh, over the care of their little boy. Several different times, they talked about uh, whether or not they were doing more to him than they were for him, uh, because it seemed like there was nothing they could do. Uh, it seemed like an impossible road for these parents with this newborn child. At several low points in the journey, Tucker and Amanda thought that they should stop considering this uh, heart transplant and instead start planning a funeral. While their minister was counseling them, one of the doctors interrupted the meeting with this bright idea of having an artificial heart uh, placed into this baby's body. And uh, this was not a long-term solution. This was just a solution, a short-term solution, so that he could live long enough to receive a heart transplant, a real heart transplant. So Davis became the youngest patient ever uh, to receive the Berlin heart in the United States at only 17 days old when he received this artificial heart. And he had major complications from this surgery. Several times this artificial heart stopped beating, and uh, it was very... Very scary for these people. At the same time, two LSU fans, their names were Jonathan and Holly Perry, had twins, one boy and one girl. The little boy had what seemed like a routine sickness that turned out to be a severe brain bleed. Uh, and it wasn't long before they realized that their son, John Clark, wasn't going to make it. So you can kind of see where the story's going. An organ donation representative came in and talked to these two LSU fans, John and Holly Perry, and discussed the options for this, for this child. And they agreed that they wanted John Clark's organs to be donated. And it wasn't long before the Boswells were notified uh, in, in Alabama that the doctors had found a match for Davis's heart that the doctors had found a, a, a perfect match that they felt like would sustain his life, that would, that would 
pump new blood into his body. Uh, this is a really cool story, and uh, you can go online and watch the video. It's a really touching story. Uh, as these two families have united since then, uh, the, the little boy Davis is doing very well with his heart transplant. But as I was hearing that, I was thinking, you can't always guess what's going to happen in life. You know, these two families, neither one, when they were having these children, thought they would be in the position that they're in. Uh, but sometimes, all the odds are stacked against you, and still, good things can come out of it. It seems like you can't get through, but you can. No one thought David could go up against this giant and defeat him, or even live to tell the tale. But David did survive. He didn't survive because he was a great warrior. He didn't survive because he had all these skills, uh, or because he was in great shape and the giant just couldn't keep up with him. Remember, David didn't defeat Goliath. God defeated Goliath. Look over at verse 37. Verse 37. Once again, this is right before battle. I love the words that, that David uses. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You're going to face a lot of giants. And your parents aren't always going to be there to help you face them. Uh, money is not always going to be there to help you face them. Health is not always going to be there to help you face your battles. But one thing we can learn from this story is that God will always be there to help you face your battles. And all of us right now are dealing with a battle uh, of some sort in your life. You're facing a battle that Maybe the things I just mentioned are not there to help you get through it. And it kind of seems insurmountable. Seems like all the odds are stacked against you. And, or maybe it's a family member that's facing this battle that's coming to your mind. But remember, God is still there. If you're facing a giant that feels too big to face and you need prayers tonight, that's what we're here for. We're here to pray together. We're here to talk together. And if, and if you just need prayers of this church, we'd love to pray with you. Or if you feel like the giant that you're facing can only be surpassed by taking on Christ in a deeper relationship than baptism, and we can do that tonight too. But just remember that no giant you face is too big for you. No giant you face is too big for God. If you have a need tonight, come forward as we stand and sing.